Do you want to set your child up for success? Is tutoring out of your budget, or perhaps you're someone like me who just wants to save money on private tutoring? Is this a big school year for your child? You know, maybe they're starting kindergarten or middle school. Maybe there's another milestone coming up. Or maybe your family moved. Oh my gosh, I moved so much when I was growing up. And the kids are starting a new school. Or maybe your child is ahead and just not getting challenged enough in class. Well, IXL Learning is here to help. IXL Learning is a fun online learning program for kids covering math, language, arts, science, and social studies. It's powered by advanced algorithms. IXL gives the right help to each kid, no matter the age or the personality. IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S. That's right. It is school approved. So make an impact on your child's learning. Get IXL now. And how to be fine listeners can get an exclusive 20% off IXL membership when they sign up today at IXL.com slash fine. Visit IXL.com slash fine to get the most effective learning program out there at the best price. Again, that's IXL.com slash fine. Hello and welcome to How to Be Fine. I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolenta Greenberg. And today we're here with a listener feedback episode. That's right. Every third week we share some of the stories you, our beloved listeners, have shared with us about the topics we have most recently covered on the show. Because a lot of you write in and a lot of you have super great things to say. Today's topics are standing desks and branding the summer. Let's start off with all of you who had thoughts on standing desks, shall we? Uh, yes, I'm standing at attention, ready to read our first <laughs> listener letter. <laughs> a lot of you guys wrote in to say, similarly to Kristen, you already have a standing desk and you love it. Yes. Eveline wrote in to say, I just got a standing desk. My pelvic area is still hurting from pregnancy and giving birth. Sitting eight hours a day especially irritates it. I love that I can now switch between sitting and standing at home. Kate also loves her standing desk. Kate writes, I have a mechanical standing desk that I use in standard sitting mode about 75% of the time, but I usually stand mid-afternoon for a while and anytime I am presenting or teaching on Zoom. I find standing while presenting changes my relationship to the group on the screen and makes me feel more generally oxygenated. You talked about that on the episode, Jolenta. Nice. Yeah. Get that air in you. <laughs> Rebecca says, I have one and love it. I find it helps with calf stretches and other small movement exercises. Plus, it makes me stand taller. And I split my day 50-50 between standing and sitting. Oh, I love to hear all these ratios. 75, 25, 50-50. Cassie says, I use a standing desk. I have ADHD and have a hard time sitting still for long. I also have a little walking pad to put under it when I'm in a long meeting or doing something repetitive at work. Cassie, Ooh. I have to say, I have fantasized about this work setup. This seems like something I would personally love. The only thing I worry about for me is not only my downstairs neighbors underneath me. Oh, yeah. But what would I look like on the meetings? Because you know what kind of walker I am, Jolenta. I, I walk at like 4.5 miles per hour. Like, 
I feel like you can't walk during meetings. You'd have to walk during like Kristen alone writing emails or writing script time because, yeah, you're an intense walker. Her (laughs) sort of resting walk is what many of us would consider a speed walk. And like I have long legs and I am like hoofing it to catch up with Kristen on a walk. So, yeah, you would look sort of like T2 in the Terminator, like when he runs, if you were doing like a walk, it would be very intense. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. It it seems exciting. But yeah, I think it would be a little off putting to everybody else on the meeting. Yeah. (laughs) But I could see you really enjoying a a walking pad. It seems so fun. So fun. All right. Should we get to some of our listeners who wrote in to say they felt a little reassured by your pushback against some of the promises of standing desks? Oh, yes. I love these notes that we got from listeners. Ariel says, thanks for the myth busting on standing desks. As a physical therapist, I get asked about desk ergonomics often, and I always tell people that there is no perfect posture and your best tactic is to move often. Our bodies are made to move and standing or sitting for a long period of time are both going to feel uncomfortable. I only recommend standing desks in very particular situations, and I know about a million different low-budget techniques to simulate a standing desk that don't require getting all new furniture. Ah, we discussed some of those techniques in our episode. Stack those reams of paper. Paper reams. (laughs) If your work has them, you can stack them. (laughs) But it's so great to actually hear from a real professional, from a real physical therapist. I love it when we hear from real medical professionals with feedback on the show because, Jolenta, you and I own up to the fact in every single episode that we are not medical professionals. We we are are not not. therapists. But just to hear it from a physical therapist, you don't have to get a standing desk. It's fine. Everybody out there who thinks that, you know, sitting is the new smoking, it's not. Listen to Ariel, the physical therapist. It's fine to not have a standing desk. It's okay. I love it. Thank you, Ariel. Aloysius writes in to say, thank you so much for letting me know that I'm not doing myself terrible damage by not having a standing desk. I have recently promised my osteopath that I'll go back to actually sitting at my desk to work rather than slouching on the couch with a laptop, though. (laughs) And that's good enough for me. I split my work into 45 to 60 minute time slots and always get up to move around in between. It helps that I always want another cup of tea. Very Kristen-like of you, Aloysius. Kristen's always getting tea. Yeah, staying hydrated, maybe too hydrated, getting (laughs) lots of movement. (laughs) But yeah, getting the movement in between, that's important. Yeah, the movement, as we said in the episode, is way more important than whether you're standing or sitting. Right, exactly. Michelle says, they keep wanting to get one for me at work, but after trying the one my colleague was given, I said no. Too much of my work involved shifting between looking at the computer screen and reading papers and books on my desk. My lousy eyesight made this very difficult to do from a standing position, and the standing desk did not allow for much more than a screen and keyboard to be at standing height. Ah, yes. This is such a valid point. Like, how close and how far away do you have to be from the things you're looking at? Right. What surface level is your keyboard at versus your screen at versus the surface you want to put your book on. And standing desks don't necessarily allow for everything to be at exactly the height that's best for your neck and back and so on. Right. Yeah. That's the whole surface area issue. Yes. Yes, yes, yes. And a few of you, we have to note, said, 
You never fell for standing desks in the first place. You maybe always thought that the claims were a little overstated. Ross says specifically, I remember some of the standing desk research maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and while the headlines seemed serious, when I dug into the stats, it seemed like there were a lot of stretched or even fishy comparisons. For instance, the mortality levels in sitting were in comparison between sedentary careers and careers that required a lot of mobility, which means that might be comparing a computer programmer to a carpenter, not so much a computer programmer who was sitting, to a computer programmer who was standing. It seemed like the advantages came with activity and not simply standing. Many of the sitting stats also had a phrase like, quote, sitting for extended periods or four hours or more, and it always left me wondering what the numbers would look like for someone who gets up every hour to stretch or get some water or run something to a coworker, take the stairs on bathroom breaks and the like. Everything seemed overstated. That's such a good point. Yeah. Rarely do I sit for a full four hours while I'm working without getting up and doing something. Yeah. I think the only time that ever happened to me was when I went through that brief period about 20 years ago where I had a Tetris addiction and my roommate and the other people in the building had to do an intervention and take it off my home computer. I didn't go to the bathroom, drink, eat, or sleep for many, many hours. And they're like, this is not Kristen. This is not normal. We're taking it off her computer. Whoa. But other than that one time, I've (laughs) I've never sat still for a full like four, eight, or 12 hours. I've never done that before or since that Tetris incident. (laughs) Oh, man. I got into it on a keychain I had. It was just a (gasps) Tetris keychain. It got pretty intense. Like, I was definitely seeing it when I closed my eyes, like, to go to bed. Like, you know, when you see the bricks and you're like, oh, "Oh, no, I'm seeing it in my sleep. Yes. I assume you were there because of how serious your addiction was. Oh, yeah, it was bad. It was really, really bad. So I think our conclusion here, Jolenta, is that standing desks are neither the friend or the enemy, but Tetris is. Yeah, Tedris, watch the fuck out. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break. Don't play too many games of Tetris while we're gone. Remember, you can always share your stories and thoughts with us at kristenangelenta at gmail.com. Or you can chime in at our Facebook group, facebook.com slash groups slash kristenangelenta. Coming up, your thoughts on branding the summer. Stay with us. Hey, everyone, we're back. And now let's hear some of your many thoughts on branding this summer, this hot girl summer. I'm sorry, this rat girl summer. Rat it up. Let's get ready. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Several of you wrote in to say that you have come up with your own branding for this summer. And I love that. Kat wrote in to say, here in California, it's hot labor summer. As someone involved in state-level policy, I feel like I've seen a 100 news articles about it, and I am here for it. There are four major strikes going on in Southern California. Hotel workers, Los Angeles city workers, screenwriters, and actors. Calling it hot labor summer is a great way to take a branding trope and use it to call attention to broader issues like wages and working conditions for the people we all depend on. Oh, I love, love that, cat. This. this is getting to that thing you were talking about in the episode, Jolenta, in the main episode, about how branding this summer can really be unifying when everybody's on mm. the same page and everybody feels like it stands for something. And when people say hot labor summer, 
that really stands for something. Oh, Not for just sure. in California, but here in New York and where there are strikes nationwide right now happening in various industries, especially industries that cross over with us, Jolenta. I used to be a SAG after member myself. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So strike it up. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Veronique writes in to say, I'm going to be 35 real soon, and it took me until my early 30s to fully shed internalized homophobia from a messed up upbringing, messed up society, and finally being out of an abusive relationship in which my queerness had to be hidden or restricted. So starting in April, I began to think about Pride Month and the Pride festivities and what I'm going to wear, what events and meetups I want to be a part of, and what feel-good LGBTQ plus movies and TV shows I wanted to watch. Until the end of July, my personality was gay, 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 and I don't care what anyone says about it. I love rainbows, and I love the sunset lesbian flag. I love the queer art by queer artists that I've accumulated over the years and plan to make a sapphic gallery wall. I fully let myself embrace my authentic self, my desires, and my joy. For the first time in years, I feel actual sapphic euphoria, which I never thought would happen. So for me, it's all hot sapphic girl summer. I love that. That's so beautiful. Just embracing yourself and everything you stand for and being so proud of it. Like, way to go, Veronique. Yeah. And this is another thing that gets to one of the points you got to in the main episode, Jolenta, which is this isn't really about like, do I look sexy in a conventional way? Am I out here to get attention from people? It's about personal empowerment. How good right. do you feel about yourself? This isn't about your past relationships. This isn't about your messed up upbringing. This is about you owning where you're at right now and feeling proud of it, feeling yeah. good about it. And I love that for you. I, I, I love that for everybody who can do that for themselves. Yeah, me too. Who doesn't love like embracing empowerment? Yes. Some of you haven't had the easiest time branding your summer and need a little help coming up with a name. Mm -hmm. Catherine says, I love summer, but as a mom of two in my early 40s, I don't really identify with the phrase hot girl summer so much. LOL. I'm wondering if there's an equivalent for parents. Hot mom sounds kind of wrong, too. Though I'm very much on board with moms being comfortable in their own skin, wearing the bikini shorts, whatever they want in the summer while enjoying summer outings with their kids, etc., as for Rat Girl Summer, I can only get behind it if we're referring to the characters in the cute Pixar movie Ratatouille, which definitely made me more sympathetic towards rats. But <laughs> unless the rats are cooking me gourmet meals, and I totally identify with the listener who hates cooking, I think I'd rather have a rat-free summer. <laughs> Catherine, I have an idea for you. What about a fierce mom summer instead of a hot mom summer, since you don't feel good about calling yourself mm. a hot mom? I bet you're a very fierce mom. I like mom. it. Or maybe yeah. you don't even have mom in there at all. What about fierce 40s summer? Because you're proudly owning the fact that you're in your Ooh. early 40s. Um, I, I frequently refer to the 40s as the fuck at 40s because uh, most people I know when they hit 40 have zero fucks left to give. So maybe this could be your fuck at 40s summer. It sounds a little feral, too. Oh, yeah. <laughs> feral 40s. Who doesn't like some alliteration? It yes. also goes with fuck it 40s. But yes, yes. I think you have a ton of options. Yeah, it can involve being a mom. It can involve being in your 40s. It can involve none of the above. It right. can be just that you love really great cartoon movies. It can be hot <laughs> Pixar Ratatouille summer. 
<laughs> you have got so many options. And if you come up with an idea, let us know. We, we would love to hear what you right. come up with, Catherine. <laughs> that being said, not all of you out there are totally on board with all this branding of the summer. A few of you wrote in to let us know that. For example, Rwanda wrote in to say, I never heard of Feral Girl Summer last year, but when Rat Girl Summer TikTok started popping up on my For You page a few months ago, it got a big immediately no from me, mainly because it just seemed very white and privileged, almost childish, frolicking in the summer breeze without thinking about the myriad crises that we are living through. And not everyone gets to fall into a different routine in the summer. But also, on a lighter note, it is just not very me. I am a fall person, and none of the summer girl typologies shared in the episode represent me. Ah, Rwanda wants those beautifully colored leaves and some pumpkins. Yeah. But you do also bring up a great point, Rwanda. Like, who gets to call themselves a rat girl? Who gets to own certain identities where mm. it's adorable, whereas other people, when they try to own those identities, it just plays into bad stereotypes that already right. exist. Totally. Full disclosure, the creator of Rat Girl Summer, Lola Colade, is a creator of color. So mm -hmm. it was created by a person of color, not like white chicks. But, you know, mm. you know we're going to fucking ruin it. <laughs> I I don't want to say it, but you've said it on the show before, Jolenta. White girl's here to ruin everything. Is that what you said? We're going to co-opt it and, like, make it more expensive quite often. <laughs> I can totally see what Rhonda's saying. Like, it takes a certain kind of person in a certain class with a certain amount of maybe disposable income to run around, like, scurrying wherever they want. Valid, valid points. Very valid points. All right. We are going to take one more quick break. But when we come back, we have some additional advice from all of you for our recent letter writers. We are back and we have some more advice for our recent letter writers. Yes, we do. For our anxious trip planner, oh my gosh, we got a ton of feedback. So, so much. many of you wrote in with advice for our trip planner who is feeling really wound up and uncomfortable about trip planning. Mary wrote in to say, I keep two stocked bags in my suitcase at all times. One is for the hotel bathroom. It has toiletries, makeup, and hair stuff in it. And the other for the hotel nightstand. It has my glasses case, puzzle book, charging cables, melatonin, etc. I restock those items after each trip so that all I need to pack is the necessary clothing. I love that system. That's so smart. Dean and I actually do that too, I realized. We always have a toiletries bag packed for every trip, and we never unpack that toiletries kit. It just always is packed. Mine's always like half packed. And then I'm always like, I need floss. Get it out of my travel bag. Uh, I'll use that from now on. And I'm always like restocking my medicine cabinet from my travel bag. So it's always like there's a toothbrush in it. But that's about it. <laughs> but if you can keep it stocked like Mary, I, right. I'm guessing so that makes life a little less stressful when you're about to go on a trip. It's just already ready to go. Just yeah. throw on some clothes. Grab and go. Off you go. Yeah. Sasha wrote in to say... I'm a terrible traveler for loads of uninteresting reasons. But what I've learned 
on vacation and while traveling is the best time to learn how to do it better. Specifically, we've traveled to the same place in Costa Rica several times because I'm basic and it's perfect. The first time we went, I made a keep app note in my phone titled Costa Rica next time. I listed things I wanted to do that we didn't get around to, things that might make the trip easier next time, like wheelie carry-ons instead of backpacks, and things that would make it more comfortable, like a rash guard to cut down on sunburns. And then I just left it on my phone until we booked our next trip to the same place. I would not have remembered otherwise. And everything new that we took was absolutely awesome and greatly added to the enjoyment of our much needed vacation. Oh, that is so smart. Yeah. When you're on a trip and you notice, gosh, I really wish I had this or that with me. Then you'll take out that list later when you're going to go on a trip again. That's great. Love that, Sasha. And be like, wait, I hated traveling with backpacks. I want a wheelie bag. (laughs) I love this note from Chris because Chris is a real expert. Yes. Chris says, I worked for an airline for seven years and flew a lot. At first, I'd get stressed about packing, but I realized that I really only needed six things. ID, source of funds, ticket or proof of ticket, phone and charger, medication, and one good swimsuit. Anything else can be purchased. Yes, that's a privilege, but I usually take what I need, and this really takes the stress off. Yeah, just sort of knowing that list and knowing, like, if push comes to shove, I have all these things in my carry-on close to me. Mm-hmm. That's reassuring. Yeah, yeah. And it is true. What more do you really need? I would say, personally, I don't even need the swimsuit. Oh, I would. I wouldn't trust myself to be able to buy one anywhere. I need, like, my one specific for me. (laughs) I've been known to go swimming in my skivvies. (laughs) I guess that's what I'm saying. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yes, I've done it. I've done some skinny dipping, too. I admit it. I've done it. I'll pack an extra for Kristen, too. (laughs) In case we have to be modest. (laughs) Dana wrote in with a different approach. Dana says, I have a folder of travel packing lists on my computer. I adapt one of them every time I travel, and I save them all as each one will be applicable to a different kind of trip, depending on climate, length of stay, purpose of travel, etc. I went to Japan for a month this summer. I started planning my packing list in January because overplanning is the only way to quell my anxiety. And then when I arrived, the airline had lost my luggage. It arrived four days later. In those four days, I learned that it is possible to manage without an awful lot of things. And I also learned to pack all your chargers in your carry-on. The moment my iPad died was a very sad one. I won't likely change my packing routine as hyper-organization really does help me cope. But it's comforting to know that in many circumstances, I can get along with a lot less than I think I can. Yeah, we all can get along with a lot less. And a few people who are not from the U.S. mentioned on our Facebook page, which I thought was very valid and very funny. Why do Americans always pack as if they're going to be away for an entire year? I think Americans tend to overplan and overpack and usually we'll be fine with just a backpack. At least I am when I travel. I almost always am fine with just a backpack. We love overpacking. (laughs) But Americans, we love it. Six pairs of shoes, why not? I'm going to be gone for six days. Why not a different pair of shoes for each day? I need my whole house with me. (laughs) I'm not making fun. Like, sometimes I feel that way, and I don't know why. (laughs) (laughs) It might also just make people feel more comfortable to know just in case, worst case scenario, right? 
Maybe this is a weird way like American anxiety shines through. Something about us is like, we, we're like turtles. And we want our whole home on our back. <laughs> or like that TV show Hoarders kind of. Only it's in yeah. your suitcases. It's yeah. just Packers. <laughs> Jolenta, should we move on to advice for our letter writer who hates cooking? Because we yes. also got lots of feedback for that letter writer. Yes. Turns out so many of us hate cooking. <laughs> Not a huge surprise there. Joanne wrote in to say, I have some thoughts for the person who hates to cook. My first is, do you know why you hate cooking? Is it the actual process, getting the kitchen hot, dealing with raw meat, cleaning afterwards, making the meal look like it came out of Martha Stewart's kitchen, multiple people having different taste buds and expectations? Once you realize the main reason, you can see if you can alter the process to work for you. I did this and I figured out I hate raw meat after work. Now I instant pot my chicken on Sunday. I hate washing dishes. Now my husband does the dishes five days a week and I do them the other two. The person not washing the dishes is on kiddo bedtime duty. I also put less pressure on my breakfast and lunch. I have instant pot oatmeal for breakfast and a smoothie for lunch. Ooh, that's so analytical, Joanne, getting to the I love reasons it. behind things, digging into those questions, very psychotherapy of you. Yeah, and that way you aren't just sort of coming at it with like a general dislike, but you're like, oh, I hate raw meat, or like, oh, when the kitchen gets hot, I like feel like I'm suffocating. Yeah, yeah, or I feel so much pressure to present something beautiful, or right, right. everybody in my family expects a different meal at every meal, which Ooh, I, I know some one. households where that's the case. Sorry, mom. That was me. <laughs> Sarah also has some advice for the letter writer. She says, like this week's letter writer, I hate cooking. I don't find any part of it enjoyable. Luckily, my husband is a great cook. As he travels more for work, I find myself in charge of feeding the kids. I have like two things I can make, but what the husband has started doing is making extra things, meats mainly, and we use a food saver to seal it and then freeze it. All I have to do is thaw and boil in the bag. I chop up some veggies for a salad and call it a meal. It's been a game changer for making sure my boys get healthier food. I love that. Finding a way to make it work where even if the person who likes to cook can't be there cooking at like proper dinner time, maybe you can game the system and they can cook some stuff ahead of time for you and you can just heat her up. Yeah, yeah, I just like I like finding ways that work that are not traditional, not conventional. Yeah, yeah. Especially if one person really does enjoy that cooking process. Right. Let him cook some extra stuff. Let yeah. him enjoy his time in the kitchen. For a lot of people, kitchen time is almost therapeutic or right. meditative or it's their creative time. Let them enjoy that. If you hate it and they get that much out of it, let them do that and then reap the benefits. Yeah, and then <laughs> just like save some stuff and eat it later. I love that. Yeah, me too. Well, that's it for this episode of How to Be Fine. Huge thank you to our executive producer, Nora Ritchie, our producer, Chantel Holder, and our composer and engineer, Casey Holford. Reminder, you can always follow us on Instagram. That is at how to be fine pod. Jolenta always has really cute things on our Instagram, things that make me giggle, things that might make you think about different parts of the episodes that maybe you didn't think about initially. And if you haven't already, please rate and review the show in your podcast player. 
It helps people find the show. It helps us know what you're thinking about the show. And, you know, tell a friend about the show. Who doesn't love some word of mouth podcast, Rex? Until next time, I'm Kristen Meinzer. And I'm Jolanta Greenberg. Thank you so much for listening, everyone. We'll see you next week. Until then, stay fine. Stitcher.